Um, hey, a quick note about the thank you earlier. Um, I, I received that, and uh, if you get a chance, if you see my family out there, make sure you say thanks to them. Uh, because Laura, she said she never wanted to marry a doctor, lawyer, or a pastor. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> and so uh, there's no person more instrumental than Laura uh, Studensky when it comes to the founding of this church. So make sure you say thanks to her. And then, um, yeah. And then um, my kids, too. That For those of you not familiar with the church world, PK, pastor's kid, it's a thing. Um, and it became a thing because it's really, really hard to grow up as a pastor's kid. Can I get an amen? <laughs> and, uh, and so if you see my kids, tell them thank you. And then certainly the other reason it's hard to receive a thank you is because we, God used so many people. From the start, this church has been his church, and he has been so faithful to gather so many amazing people who he's used over the years. So thank you to all of you for all this. One of my favorite um, parts of the year is today, looking out that window. Maybe before you go out, just take a peek. There's something amazing looking out and seeing all the generations doing stuff together, eating together, playing together. So we hope you can join us out there. Um, and if, at, at some point, just stop and look back and, and zoom out and just go, this is a good thing. This is a good and God-honoring thing. All right. Well, let's dive into today's new series that starts today. Um, and it's very interesting that it starts today because our church uh, was founded 10 years ago, 2007. We had our first service at Chippewa Middle School just down the road. And 10 years ago is also when an event invention came out, the iPhone. If you're a uh, note taker, I encourage you to write this down. Emmanuel was born the same year as the iPhone. I still remember watching the video where Steve Jobs, uh, who was heading up Apple at the time, he, uh, he, he, he had this, this, this uh, rollout for this thing. And he said, I'm going to introduce the world to three new inventions. Some of you guys might remember that. The first one is a new widescreen iPod with touch controls. The second is a revolutionary new mobile phone. And the third is a breath breakthrough internet communications device. And then he began to repeat himself. And he said, are you catching on? These three new inventions are all one device that we're calling the iPhone. I can't imagine what it would have been like to start our church without a device like that. With this one device, it was our, it was our office phone. My iPhone was our office phone for quite a while. And it was our email hub. And it was our church database. And with this one portable device, we could answer calls and crunch numbers and take pictures and confirm reservations and order supplies and get directions and download songs and pay bills and so much more. I quickly became an iPhone evangelist. I'm like, you guys, these things are amazing. But like a lot of you, it wasn't long before you started to realize, huh, these devices for all of the wonderful things they bring into the world, there's a lot else that comes with them. Well, uh, this week in our ECC mail update, I'm going to give a link to, uh, to a TED Talk that someone sent to me. It's just a 10-minute little um, TED Talk, and I encourage you to, to take a listen to it. In it, he'll just... Uh, the, the guy giving the presentation describes an interview with Steve Jobs. And it was when they rolled out in 2010 their iPad. Uh, here's, here's what he said when, when he was asked the question, so what do your kids think of the iPad? Here's what he said. This is what Steve Jobs said. They haven't used it. We try to limit 
how much technology our kids use at home. That was the guy who headed up the team that created it. Man, I want to encourage you to write this down in your notes. Why did Steve Jobs create guardrails around technology at home? Why did he do that? And he's not the only one. He's not the only one who discovered that these devices, as great as they are, also have their challenges with them as well. I found this quote this week. Um, This is from Melinda Gates, the wife of uh, Bill Gates, who, who founded Microsoft. She said this. She said, I spent my year or my career in technology. I wasn't prepared for its effect on my kids. Different generations react differently to different devices. The author of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, he explains it like this. I like these categories. He says, for most people, everything before you were born, that's just stuff. Everything that was invented between birth and age 30, it's wonderful. And then everything that was invented after you turned 30, it's going to bring about the death of society. (laughs) Isn't that often? Oh, those Walkmans, they're going to, you know, those transistor radios, those 8-track players, they're going to destroy everything. You know, uh, different generations tend to react differently to technology, and we need to throw that out right right, right out there right from the start. On one extreme, you have people who are often older who emphasize the negative. And then you have other people who are often younger who aren't as careful as perhaps they should be. But one of the things that I think everyone has common ground here is that we recognize these devices are game changers. They've changed, changed our culture in numerous ways. Life itself is different now than it was 2000, in 2007. Changes in technology change us. As much as we could say things are neutral, stuff is neutral, you can use it for good or you can use it for bad, it's more complicated than that, isn't it? Because the very technologies that we use for good or for evil change us in us using them. It, it changes us. As we use these technologies to reshape our world, they reshape us. Using technology for good or evil changes the person who uses it. And I want to give you an example of this. Here's some, some high tech from back in the day. Someday in past history, someone invented a shovel and it revolutionized digging. Now, you can use this for good or evil, right? But if you're using it for good or if you're using it for evil, it's changing you while you're using it. It's changing your hands. If you use these things enough, you'll get calluses or blisters. It's changing your arms and your shoulders and your back. Technology, even something as simple as a shovel, even as something as simple as a shovel, even something as old as this one. I'm 48 and this thing was on the family farm. I never remember a day without this shovel, you know, in our life. Even something that old, even something that simple, it changes the person using it, whether you're using it for good or whether you're using it for evil. I came across so many good quotes. I'm going to give you a bunch of them here today. Here's one of them in a book that I recommend in your resources today. It says this, When the job is completed, the tool will have transformed both the creator and the creation. The purpose of digging for good or evil does not change the way that the act of using the shovel transforms a person. Technology transforms culture. It changes us. Think of the way the world changed when people began to figure out how to make fire. Now, a game changer. Or wheels. Or gunpowder. Electricity. Our entire culture changed, whether we're using it for good or evil, our entire culture changed 
when these technologies began to be used. Here's another quote I came across recently. This one's from Sigmund Freud. I don't know if I've ever quoted him before in church. If there had been no railway to conquer distance, my child would have never left town and I should need no telephone to hear his voice. Let's go to the next slide. This is truth here, this next one. Technology is undeniably reshaping how we communicate with and relate to and ultimately love one another. This is what we're going to be diving into now for the next four weeks. Technology, screens, how have they changed us and and what, what should we do about that? Well, one of my sources said that Socrates was concerned about the effect that this new technology of writing would have on people. Here's another great quote. The Greek philosopher Socrates expressed concern about the technology of writing. He believed that learning in dialogue was the key to helping people grow in wisdom. And he worried, about, he worried that writing would make people knowledgeable, but it would fail to make them wise. Socrates was so worried about the damage that writing could cause that he never wrote any of his own ideas down. Isn't it interesting? At at every step of the way, people are concerned about technology. They they recognize that technology has its strengths and they recognize that technology has its weaknesses. In fact, along these lines about face-to-face communication, we see that in the scriptures, don't we? In John's letters, 2 John, 3 John, look at that. Here's some quotes right out of the Bible that, that, that talks about this. John says this at the end of his letter, his second letter. He says, though I have much to write you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk what? Face to face, so that our joy may be complete. Here's another excerpt from 3 John. He says this, I had much to write you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we'll talk face to face. Every medium has its strengths and has its weaknesses. And the world has never seen a medium like the one we see today. We've seen pieces of it, but we've never seen one like this. The printing press changed the world. It changed the world. People could now put their ideas in words and print multiple copies of those words and get them out all over the place. Photographs changed the world because now you could capture an image of something that was happening and pass that image on to someone who wasn't there. The telegraph changed the world because now you could send messages long distances really, really fast. And then the telephone changed the world because now you could communicate with words across long distances really fast, have a conversation. Well, consider this. Next slide. What do we get when we combine text and images and information access and direct human-to-human connection, the answer is the most powerfully transformative technological system humans have ever created. We are in uncharted territory, aren't we? We find ourselves, Dr. Walt, Walt Mueller writes this, he says, we find ourselves living on a digital frontier Every step we take into this new technological landscape moves us further and further into uncharted territory. 
And along the way on this journey, sometimes the lessons that we learn are harmless. Um, we have Alexa at our house, and uh, we had to reboot Alexa um, recently. And it was after we rebooted it, the first instructions that it received were from my teenage daughter, who said, Alexa, add Corgi to Dad's shopping list. <laughs> my little animal lover. And some of you might have heard this next one. Um, a few years ago, United Kingdom thought they would appeal to tech-savvy moderns. Let's all be hip here. We're the British government. Don't get much hipper than that, right? And so they're going to they're gonna have this, this, this contest. So they created a hashtag, name our ship, which resulted in the majority of people wanting to name a multi-million dollar research vessel, Bodie McBoatface. Can you imagine some British person? I wouldn't even try an accent. Bodie McBoatface. I christened the... Well, sometimes when tech doesn't deliver as expected, you know, we can laugh about the results, but countless people are, are recognizing that it's not always funny. That when we misuse tech, when we misuse tech, or when we're not sure even how to use it or how much to use, the consequences can be very, very very significant. They can have a serious effect on families and friendships and health and happiness. Devices are shaping worldviews. They're shaping our brains. There's literally books on that, on how the internet's affecting our brains and undermining life readiness. There's books on that too. A few people sent me a link to an article in the Atlantic magazine online, and we're going to send that out to you guys as well this week in the ECC mail. The author writes this. She's a researcher and she says this. She says, I've been researching generational differences for 25 years. Typically, the characteristics that come to define a generation, they appear gradually and along a continuum. I had grown accustomed to line graphs of trends that look like modest hills and valleys. And then I began studying this generation. Around 2012, I noticed abrupt shifts in teen behaviors and emotional states. The gentle slopes of the line graphs became steep mountains and sheer cliffs. And many of the distinctive characteristics of the millennial generation began to disappear. In all my analysis of generational data, some reaching back to the 1930s, I had never seen anything like it. The changes weren't just in degree, but in kind. These changes have affected young people in every corner of the nation and in every type of household. The trends appear among teens, poor and rich, of every ethnic background in cities, suburbs, and small towns. I want to encourage you to read that entire article because it's really well done. The author, as she was doing her research, she said she noticed these changes happening abruptly right around the year 2012. You know what happened in 2012? That's when the proportion of Americans that owned a smartphone crossed 50%. That's exactly when that happened. Well, again, we'll send you a link to this email because it's important to look at this. And this is just one person. There is so much data that's coming out now, so much data. And there, we want to unpack over the, the next couple of weeks the things that researchers and teachers and pastors and doctors and counselors and psychologists are saying. There's a lot of great resources out there. And I put a couple resources in your notes um, today that you can take a look at. Oh, and if you want to get on our ECC update, all you do is just take the connection card right 
Sign me up for ECC mail, pop it in the mailbox, we'll get you on the list. All right, well, researchers are now able to establish direct relationships between how we interact with screens and how happy we are and how healthy we are. Direct relationships. And not just physically on these things, but socially, mentally. Here's what the experts are saying. And there's a place to write this. You know, it's happy, healthy, God-honoring living requires wise decision-making. You can't just use these things without thinking. It requires wise decision-making. And I want to tell you, too, in case you're getting a little nervous right now, what you're not going to hear for the next four weeks from Jason or I is just a bunch of technology bashing. You're not going to hear that. It's not going to be four weeks of fear because there's so much great stuff that technology can be used for. Just ask anyone who was at the U2 concert on Friday night. Man, tech is amazing. What we do want to do for the next four weeks, though, is aim at a target. We want to point everyone towards a target of happy, healthy, and God-honoring. That's what we want to do. And I would hope that's a target that everyone would want. Happy, healthy, God-honoring. We want to do the best job we can of doing what Steve Jobs tried to do at home, pun intended. And that's to put some guardrails in place, some guardrails that can help us enjoy the amazing benefits of today's tech, but help us from making missteps along the way. Here's why this matters. There's a place to write this in your notes. Guardrails become increasingly important as the probability of a misstep and the significance of the consequence increase. Can I get an amen on that? I think that was a pretty good statement. That was one of our better talk points we've had. That's why this matters so much. Because if, you, if you're driving down the road, you don't see guardrails guarding a gravel driveway in Nebraska. I've never seen that, Right? Where do you see guardrails when you're driving down the road? If there's a cliff, if there's two lanes of traffic going really fast, you put up a guardrail where there's a probability that something could go wrong. And if it does, it's really serious. And it took us a long time as a culture to get caught up with the technology of driving. We're still inventing things to keep us safe while we're driving, right? We're, we're inventing new ways of, of getting our highways safer to get us where we want safer. We're, we're, we're creating things in the device itself, in cars, new ways to keep us safer as we're driving so we can have a happy, healthy ride. We're a long way from figuring that out with our tech, in part because the tech is changing so fast. So we dare not wait for others to figure this out, not when the probability is 100% that we're going to misstep. And not when the consequences are so big if we do. So we're going to do the best we can over the next four weeks to, to focus on some guardrails. What are some of the best practices out there to help us target and arrive at our destination happy, healthy, God-honoring? Well, let's look at the scriptures. I mean, because doctors and educators and researchers and psychologists, they're adding a lot to the conversation, and so are theologians. And if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open with me to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. I mean, right here, we, we start to see some really important things. And I want to frame this up a little bit. Here's some of the context surrounding the verse that we're going to look at. And again, this is from one of those great books I recommend um, in your notes. In the opening chapter of Genesis, as God is creating the universe, he gives each of his creations a purpose and a function. To the stars, he gives the job of separating day and night and marking out the seasons. To the plants, he gives the job of sprouting fruit and seeds. To the fish, 
what the Hebrew literally calls the swimming things. God says, swim. And to the birds, literally the flying things, he says, fly. During those six days, every plant and animal received a place and a function within God's world. They do what they're made to do, shining, sprouting, swimming, and flying. It in part defines who they are. What then are human beings? If all the other creatures are defined by what they do, what is the thing that humans do that makes us human? Well, on the sixth day, God answered that question. And that's what we find in Genesis 1, 26, where it says, God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the, of the heavens and over the livestock. And it goes on and on and on from there. God said, let us make man in our own image. Humans, men, women, were created in the image of God. The essence of of what it means to be human is to reflect the image of God more than anything else. I want to encourage you to write this down here. The sixth thing, when we create and restore and set wise boundaries, we reflect the image of God. God creates. And when we reconfigure his creation in creative new ways, we reflect his image. God restores. And when we use this technology that's available to us to to help make things that aren't the way they should be, the way they should be, we're bearing the image of God. And God sets wise boundaries. And when we place guardrails around new inventions to help us avoid pain or regret of missteps, we reflect his image. You know, I want to show you something that I never noticed um, before. Can we put Apple's logo up on the screen? You'd think that I would have noticed this before. I, I see this logo almost every day. And what I never noticed before is it's an apple with a bite out of it. It takes me a while sometimes. I mean, I knew it was an apple with a bite out of it, but I never stopped to think, are they talking about Genesis? The Garden of Eden. And if so, what's their point? Because that could go a lot of ways. I never stopped to reflect on that. So I went online and said, what does the Apple logo mean? <laughs> and I came way more confused than I did when I started because it was about as helpful as Ikea instructions, right? Because <laughs> I had, in 30 seconds, I had 30 different definitive answers to, the, uh, to that question and they all contradicted one another. So I have no idea what Apple really means by that logo. I don't know. But here's what I do know. It was a big deal when humanity disobeyed God. And when they took a bite out of that forbidden fruit, when they stepped outside of God's boundaries, that was a big deal. It affected everything. Everything. And there's not a piece of technology that you can pick up. A phone, a computer, a shovel, a Bible that someone hasn't misused. And so one of the things I love about having that logo on my computer, on my phone. It's a great reminder. Be careful. Anything you pick up can be used for good. It can be used for evil. And just the fact of picking it up is changing you as you do. 
So to be wise, to be discerning, and to set guardrails in place to keep you on target for happy and healthy and God-honoring lives. We live in a fallen world where everything is tainted by sin. And we can be reckless. We can be reckless. And that is really a weird word. Because when you're reckless, don't you wreck things? That is just a weird word. But that's a tangent. We can be reckless and not put up guardrails, or we can be wise. We can be wise and put guardrails in place to help us stay on that path. Well, one of the practical ways that we want to help is to challenge everyone over the next four weeks to adopt some of the best practices that are out there that people are discovering when it comes to tech. Uh, There's a great quote. If you can fire the next slide, I came across as I was reading. If there's one word that sums up how many of us feel about technology and family life, or if we're not living under a roof with a family, ourselves, one of the words that sums it up, it's what? Help. Help. You know, one of the reasons that we put this series on the calendar, I'll just be honest with you, is because we haven't figured this out at our house. I'm like, let's put this on the calendar. So maybe we can carve out as a family four weeks where we really wrestle with this and we reflect on this. And I hope it's helpful for everyone and not just our household. But to spend some time reflecting on how are we using these things? And are they helping us to live happier, healthier, more God-honoring lives or not? This is is really important. Here's um, something that people do seem to say as I've been reading. One of the common ground pieces I find is that a lot of people are saying, put something in writing. Even if it's simple, in fact, keep adding to it over time, but put something in writing. Here's a stat. Seven in ten parents say they have an explicit set of values for their family, but less than three in ten have written out that purpose or mission statement. Well, invisible targets are hard to hit, aren't they? And so to write some things down for yourself, if, you're, if you have a family with your family, write these things down. And next week, God willing, we're going to have a separate insert that, that could be a starting point. If you've already got something, you may have something way better than this, but we want to help. We want, let's spend the next week developing a tool. On the back of your sheet, you can start to see the early stages of it. Next week, God willing, this will be a separate insert that will be more helpful than this. But here's some thoughts about this idea of creating some sort of covenant with your household, whether that's you living in an apartment or a house, whether that's, that's a family, whether that's roommates. Here's some ideas about how we can hold each other accountable and how we can put some thoughts together. A covenant is an in-it-together agreement. And again, it may just be you and God, or it may be bigger than that. But a covenant's an in-it-together agreement. And many households have been experimenting with written guidelines in this new world and guardrails designed to, one, strengthen your relationships, and two, to protect yourselves from the consequences of misuse. And again, the target, the target is happy, healthy, God-honoring lives. If you just develop a list of rules... That's, that's not recommended. You know, it used to be when the technology was first coming out, the stuff they were telling us is get the right filters in place and stay away from the wrong apps. Well, there's no way. You're playing whack-a-mole if that's your strategy these days. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't. It's important to be aware, but there's just so much. You can't. You can't keep up on it. So instead of focusing only on the rules, it's about the relationships. What's the target? What's the target that we're shooting for here? It says, look ahead over the course of the series. We're going to do the best we can to give you a whole lot of ideas that can help you create a covenant that's tailor-made for your household because it's going to look different. Different families is going to look different based on how many people are there, based on ages, all those things. So here's my challenge to you this week as we're getting started. We'll start a nice, easy walk into this. Here's what I'm, I'm encouraging you to do this week. 
I want to encourage you to watch that TED Talk. It's only 10 minutes long that we send you the link there. It's called Why Screens Make Us Less Happy. You don't have to wait for the link. You can just look it up if you want. We're also going to encourage you to read that article, um, Have Smartphones Destroyed a Generation. The article is not as negative, gloom and doom as it sounds. But I encourage you to look that up. We'll give you a link to there. And then if you are a parent, I'd encourage you to purchase that, that book. It's a really quick read, but it's got a lot of good stuff in there, in particular about covenants. I would encourage you to, to, to do those things this week. Well, one of the things as we start this whole series, it gives me hope. One of the things that gives me hope that we can become a, a church that really does this well is that we are in this together. On the very top of your recommended resources, you're going to see your church family up at the top. And I don't do that just to do it. I believe it. As a father of two teen girls, I'm so excited to be in this together with Dan and Caitlin and the youth team. I stopped down there today. They're, they're prepping for preteen. And it's so great to have youth leaders who are coming alongside our family and helping us in these areas. And I'm so excited. We've got such an amazing group working with our younger kids. Amazing team. And this small church initiative to have 15 or so small churches starting up where you can get together and not just have like Sundays, but you can talk it out. What's actually working? What have you found that's really working for you? What have you tried that isn't working? To have all these generations getting together, the younger ones going, yeah, so this is how you actually work a pop socket. You know, this is what they do, right? All of that kind of stuff, get everyone together. So I'm so excited for that. And I'm also excited if you, if you have started to develop if you have missteps in your life and you're developing addictions or know someone that does, talk to Pastor Jason. We'd love to get you help with that too. And it's not just the, the porn addictions that often gets the headlines. There's gambling addictions online. There's spending addictions. There's all these different things. We'd love to get help to the people that would love some help. And imagine how we're going to shine if we can start to figure out how we navigate this world well. Can you imagine how different we're going to look for most people? Um, in one of the books, he said this, I think towards the end of his book, he said, I am awed and I'm thrilled to see our near adult children making courageous choices informed by a gospel saturated view of the world. Oh, isn't that beautiful? And isn't that our hope for all of us at all ages at this church that we begin to to move forward with a gospel-saturated view of the world rather than a view of the world that is mostly informed by the craziness that, that's coming at us online. Oh, Now, this author is the first to admit they're not batting anywhere near 100%, but they are seeing something different in their family. During meals, screens are off, and they're engaging in real conversations. Everyone in that family are doing significant things with their life, things they can go come back and go, man, God used me in this way to make this difference. Can you imagine if that was a norm for all of us? At Emmanuel, leaving a legacy is one of our core values. We do not want to be a church that gets to the end of our leg of the race. I'm talking to the adults right now. We will not be not just don't want to be. We will not be a church that gets to the end of our leg of this race and we hand off a baton that is just rusty and broken down and the people are like, I don't even want to run this race with you. Not only that, we want to have some people who we're handing off to who are ready to go. They are in sh spiritually in shape and they are ready and willing and eager to grab that baton and run with it because they've been running alongside us in this exchange lane. 
Well, the researchers are saying over and over again, the best indicator of what you're going to get is who you are. So let me talk to the adults just for a minute. It's important that we step up in this and not just say, don't do as we do, but to actually set an example for them where we are consuming God-honoring media and we are doing the best we can to navigate this world and put guardrails in in place for ourselves. That when they're talking to us, we are fully present and they get to experience what that's like to have someone looking them in the eye and you matter more to me than what's going on here. And that we're setting good examples when it comes to sleep and when it comes to health and not reacting in stupid ways when people say things online and that we have to react in, in, in all those crazy, crazy ways. That we're setting those examples, that we're valuing silence. We're valuing healthy, God-honoring productivity in these types of things. And as we set the pace of the adults, let me talk to the, to the younger than adults Imagine how how much better your lives could be than so many of your classmates who are doing such stupid things. And they're saying things that now are out there permanently. And they're sending things that are now out there permanently. And they're undermining their ability to think deep thoughts. And they're taking these years where you could be developing skills and, and, and making a real difference in the world. And we're wasting it, watching a generation waste it away doing stuff that doesn't help anybody. Imagine how different your lives could be if you became a person who was fully present when others came to you with their problems or wanting to talk. Imagine if if you were getting to a place where you were starting to hear the voice of God. Can you imagine the difference that would make? One of the things that, that Pastor Dan said that I thought was just cool, he said, you know, there's so many people that are so concerned about their snap streaks coming to an end. I can't go on a retreat. I can't turn off my phone because my snap streak is going to come to an end. And he's like, that should be a badge of honor. It should be, hey, my snap streak ends once a year because God is God and not my device. I mean, how cool of a statement would that be when they look and they go, why are your snap streaks always 362 days or whatever? Let me tell you why. Here's why I believe these kind of things are possible. Not just because we're in it together, but here's today's last fill-in. God will be with us if we what? If we follow his lead. God will be with us. Don't forget that. Technology is not bigger than God. He will be with us. We spent our last series in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is filled with things like this. Deuteronomy 31, 6 through 8 says this, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear. Do not be dismayed. If you think, why did he? He must have done a cut and paste and he put those things on twice. No, the Bible does that. It repeats these things. Don't be afraid. I will not forsake you. I am with you. God wants to guide us. He wants to bring us forth on this journey. So if you're like me and sometimes you feel like you look at technology and the onslaught and you feel like a plumber standing at the front of Niagara Falls and you're like, I can't fix this thing. God is with you. God is with you. Well, Emmanuel shares the same birthday as an Apple iPhone. That logo on my phone and computer serves as a great reminder that we live in a wonderful and a fallen world.
And we want to invite you to join us as we establish and set out to find some good God-honoring guardrails that can move us towards a happy, healthy, God-honoring life. Let's, let's pray, and then we're going to pray a blessing after that over our food. Let's pray for this. Father, we want to commit this um, series to you. Father, we don't want to have four weeks of fear. We don't want this to be um, four weeks of people who are older saying, oh, we got to go back to the good old days. Because every generation's had its challenges adopting to new th- things. Father, what we do want to do is hear from your Holy Spirit. Hear from wise people. And then personally, individually customize a set of guardrails that we can put in place to help us experience those happy, healthy, God-honoring lives that you call us into. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.